One. Nope. Jim Joyce. Wednesday. The future is here. The future is here. Future health is for those who can. (laughs) I forgot uh, who can envision it. So I just came back. That's 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 us, right? I think, and (laughs) our guests. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So you were in Italy last week, right? Am I going crazy? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. I'm in Italy now. That was awesome. I uh, I spent uh, Florence. Florence, well, first, Tuscany, where are you? Yeah, now in Florence, so at my uh, older's apartment, and we're helping her move, and we're actually going to work out of here for a bit till I think end of next week, so uh, that's kind of nice. Great. Um, and then before this, I was actually in Salerno with our healthware friends, Roberto, um, so that was oh, pretty excellent. awesome as well. Um, hot, Great. though, hot. So anyway... Um, we have an awesome guest today and we'll just dive right in and, uh, well, before we do, how are you doing? Man? I'm sorry. We didn't get to catch up Monday. No, I'm, you know, I'm doing awesome, man. I like, I had a week, I, I, I for mental health purposes, I totally recommend vacation in Italy <laughs> on the beach specifically. <laughs> I just shut down. I had one of those years, but thank you for asking. I'm, I'm, I'm rearing and ready to go and ready to meet our guest here. Awesome. Awesome. All right, so let's go. We're going to let Daniel Nathrop in. He is the CEO and co-founder of Ada Health. And there he is. And he was told not to call us any bad names coming in because we're already recording. (laughs) So Daniel, Jim, Jim, Daniel, good to see you again. Been a while. Not actually. Not really. <laughs> the old delay. Hey, Daniel, nice to meet you. Uh, pleasure. I love your background. Very nice to meet you. Yes. So thank you for having me. I uh, I was very tempted to call Eugene bad names, but Jim, we haven't met before, so I, it would be kind of rude to do it. Well, I'm, I'm calling from Ireland, so it would be very customary to kind of dig right in, you know. <laughs> well, we, we're going to have some crack fun, right? I, I learned right. that that's the... Not not actual Dr. crack. No crack. It's spelled different. Doctor No Crack. Yeah, that's that's Chandana. Um, so Daniel, welcome to the shot. I know we've been trying to, even though we're meticulously unproduced, we've been trying to get you on for a bit, just from a scheduling perspective. But here we are. So awesome to have you. And for our millions of listeners and viewers, uh, tell them who you are. And in any, you know, you can start all the way back to two years old or whatever, or right. however you want to play it. I know quite well what two years old feels like because my son just turned three. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm constantly getting reminded of uh, what that means. Lots of tantrums. Some things never change. Uh, so, so my name is Daniel. I'm co-founder and CEO of Ada Health. Um, and uh, as you can hear by my accent, I'm originally from Germany. I now live in the U.S., um, and uh, I, I trained as a lawyer a very long time ago. I studied law uh, both in Germany and in the U.S. Uh, I'm admitted to the bar in, in the city you see behind me in New York, uh, but never really practiced as a lawyer because when I studied in the U.S. in the mid-90s, I discovered the Internet. And then I was like, okay, I want to do something with this rather than uh, sort of uh, working just um, with legal books uh, all yeah. the time. So. I ended up uh, joining an internet company uh, called Lycos. Uh, some of you might be old enough yeah. to remember what that was. It was 
mm. search en engine slash portal. And we were always trying to compete with Yahoo. And then Google came out of left field and sort of crushed everyone else. <laughs> uh, but it was an interesting experience. I, I built up the legal department together with uh, a colleague and then uh, used the opportunity to pivot out of the legal career path and sort of work on the business side of things. So we did an IPO, we acquired 50 companies all across Europe. Then we realized, oops, all these companies are even less profitable than we are. <laughs> uh, so so we, we had to, I was then put in charge of the post-merger integration project. We reduced, so we, went, we were 40 people working in temporary office containers when I started. After a year, we were 1,500 people. And then wow. a year later, we were 700 people. And, and then I was like, okay, well, I'm using Google all the time. Uh, probably we're not going to win So you weren't this, even so. eat, eating your own dog food while working there and building. Well, That's crazy. I, I tried. I yeah. tried. But it was, I, learned a lot of, I learned a lot of valuable lessons during that time. And, and one of them is that you really, I think, have to focus on, on your product, uh, which, you know, Lycos, it was quite an impressive story, actually. The, the, the U.S. founder of Lycos, Inc., uh, he took the company public. I think it was the fastest company to get to a NASDAQ IPO ever up until that time. But what they didn't really do was focus on the on the product. Um, and I think ultimately that was uh, probably part of the downfall of, of Lycos because, uh, you know, if as you say, if you don't eat your own dog food, that's probably not a good sign. But, uh, by the way, I think, unless I'm mistaken, the logo had a dog in it, right? So that was kind of pun intended. Yes. Each Okay, I'm, I'm, I am it aging myself now. It wasn't just a logo. It was, so the idea there was uh, uh, how do you sort of, and some branding agency, I think, came up with it. How do you sort of visualize uh, uh, fetching a search think, result uh, so it was like right, a sure. fetch uh, and then uh, so we often had dogs in the in the in the office for photo shoots and all the stuff but uh, ultimately I thought I should see some some other industries so I, I and learn more about business because as a lawyer you don't know that much about business so I I, I didn't Daniel, before you go on I'm sorry to interrupt there it, it's actually kind of interesting and I, as you get to Ada Health right because Lycos as one of the first search engines out there from even a legal perspective there must have been so many new things that were never there before from you know from from legislation from cookies and privacy and all of that and then I'm sure we'll reference it back because I'm sure that's helping in your Ada story as well lots of are still uncovered Yes. Yeah. I mean, there were tons of new legal questions and that was, so initially I came via this angle. Um, I actually started writing before I joined Lycos, I, I was working on a PhD thesis about uh, online standard terms and conditions. And then uh, I naively thought I could do this sort of on the side while working in a, in a tech startup. Uh, mm -hmm. But I eventually, uh, ditched that. I had already written like 120 pages, but the topic was kind of running away from me. It was, uh, it's obviously a, a big issue even now when you, you know, you don't really think about all the terms you accept when you click. Uh, I agree. You have no other, other choice. And then suddenly you've entered into a contract with tons of uh, terms that you probably wouldn't want to agree to. So I was writing about that, but then uh, we had lots of legal challenges because it wasn't just a search engine. We also acquired some communities, which were really, mm -hmm. if you look at it from today's perspective, precursors to what Facebook is nowadays. So we had something mm -hmm. called Tripod, where people could build their own homepage. 
And then, you know, we, we had a, an, an, an entire team that was constantly looking at uh, monitoring the content on there. And then there was someone who threatened to, I think, kill himself and kill others. Uh, and, you know, our, our monitoring team discovered that and they came to me as a lawyer and they were like, what, what should what we, do do? we do? So <laughs> we, called, we called the police. Uh, the police went to the house and was indeed a teenager who was suicidal and the parents were super grateful. So, so lots of things that, you know, it was late 90s. These were all new things. Nowadays, you know, all of this social media stuff is happening, but these were like the earliest uh, precursors of today's social media. And, and I was right in the middle of it. So it was really interesting, not only from a legal perspective, but also in terms of how uh, technology was developing. So I lear really learned a lot during that time. Um, and, and yes, indeed, uh, sometimes I go back to this when I think about uh, when I have to make decisions nowadays uh, yeah. and I think about what did we do wrong back then and what, you know, uh, that we shouldn't do now, uh, both in terms of the product, but also in terms of how you grow an organization. Mm. Uh, we, we basically did something that you could have called blitzscaling uh, yep. before Hoffman wrote the book. Uh, but uh, we did it before we really had product market fit. And I think that's that's a big risk. Um, Bliss scaling is great once you have right. product market fit. So I do want to come back to it, but I interrupted earlier. You were into your MBA um, because I do want to get your thoughts on digital health and blitz scaling. Um, but yeah. I'll, I, I wrote it yeah. down. We're not going to let it go. So keep it going. Yeah, MBA. I mean, I, uh, it, yeah, so I thought I should learn more, uh, and it's a coincidence, but I have this mug. So I went to the University of Chicago, uh, but only Ooh. really because they had a campus in Barcelona uh, at the time, uh, <laughs> because I really wanted to be in Barcelona. I, you know, I love that city, and I, I'm quite jealous, Eugene. I know. I think you. Uh, that's where you live uh, that's right. nowadays. So, uh, so I only applied to business schools in Barcelona at the time. That was IESA and and University of Chicago, and then I just. Basically, it was an executive MBA program and uh, we had a lot of fun. I did learn a bit. Uh, it's a great school, but I think they finally decided they wanted people who were serious about business and who didn't only want to be in Barcelona. So right. uh, partly probably it's my fault. Why can't you do both? <laughs> you can do both. I, I think you can do both, <laughs> but they, they eventually moved the campus to London because you know they, they were probably worried about their reputation or something so uh right. but, but it was a great was a great learning experience good network uh, i'm still in touch made made friends from that time and it's it's a it's a great uh thing to look back to and i hope that i will eventually get to spend more time in, in barcelona one way or another <laughs> and then i i started uh I, I did my own startup uh it was uh sort of in the uh, by the way you have catch. people there you have people there we do, have, we do have team members. We have, you have a team yes. members, so I think you need to come in for a team meeting. I, that's what it's definitely. Like. I mean, it's, uh, open in. There's always that always has to be an excuse to to go to Barcelona. We do have. So when when COVID happened, uh, like many other companies, we basically went hybrid, uh, and and we decided we would let people um, work from wherever they want, uh, like many other companies have done. We still have our headquarters in, in Berlin. Uh, but we did have, surprisingly, some team members who said, if I can choose any place in the world that I can work from, it's going to be Barcelona. So that's right. why I know we have team members there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, 
Yeah, so so and so I did that. I, I ran my own startup afterwards, uh, sold it, um, and then I worked in e-commerce in secondary ticketing actually for some years. Uh, it's a company called Viagogo or Viagogo, oh, which yeah. was founded by hmm. oh, the yeah. same person who founded StubHub. Um, oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. That was uh, that had really nice sort of fringe benefits because I'm a big football fan. I like music, uh, so during those few years. I was basically always in football soccer for for American friends. I was always in football stadiums every weekend. Uh, I, I was in concerts. I was at the in the backstage at the MTV Music Awards when that was still a thing. Um, and so so it was great from that perspective. But uh, after a few years, I did feel like um, I wasn't really doing something with a, with a deeper purpose. I wasn't really doing something that made the world a better place and so i was I was almost 40 at the time and i was like okay i i annoyed people as a lawyer i annoyed people as a strategy consultant oh i completely forgot that face that was that was before <laughs> you, I don't you tried to well. erase it you tried to erase it no yeah. actually that's no, also it's actually it's I, it's also a great experience it was a great learning experience i worked at bcg boston consulting group for a few years uh, to see some other industries, which I did and uh, work with some of the smartest people uh, I'd ever meet. Um, but it wasn't the right thing for me. I mean, maybe partly because the projects I had were mostly restructuring projects. So I was a little bit like George Clooney, not quite as good looking, but I was doing the same thing. I was uh, flying around, um, basically laying off people. So my friends were joking with me. They were like, you know, this this movie is about what you did back then. And right. while that was a good learning experience, uh, it also wasn't my final calling. So uh, so I, I was like, okay, I annoy people as a lawyer, as a strategy consultant. I did a, not gambling, but a skill gaming startup. And then I did basically online scalping or ticket touting for a while. Uh, and, and now, finally i need to do something that my parents aren't embarrassed of so <laughs> i was approached i was approached uh, by some former colleagues um and uh, they said we, we met this genius scientist and he wants to figure out a way he wants to apply his learnings from like decades of uh research into how the human brain works how how humans think he wants to apply those learnings to medical diagnosis. And um, he, he's a grandson of a scientist called Heisenberg. Not, not the Breaking Bad Heisenberg, but the real <laughs> Nobel Prize winning Heisenberg. That's where my, like that's he, where my head jumped right away. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I watched that show. I mean, that's, the, that's actually the last thing I really binge watched ever. Uh, and it's, it's really, um, you know, you can't, you can't stop watching it. So I, I spent an entire vacation just watching it. But so he's, he is really a genius, my, my co-founder and friend Martin. And I met him, I only understood about half of what he was telling me, but it seemed fascinating. And uh, I come from a family of doctors, but I, I had deliberately tried to stay away from healthcare because I know how difficult it is. Um, and that I, I also knew that doctors weren't necessarily the earliest adopters of technology. So I said, this is a really crazy idea to try and get doctors to use technology when they, they first of all, most of them really are rather afraid of technology and, and also the the bit of technology they have to deal with was built to allow them to to bill and to to even yep. make money but to mm. give them a technology that helps them diagnose better 
to some extent is a little bit like uh, giving someone a solution who doesn't think they have a problem. Sure. Because misdiagnosis happens because, uh, you know, people might be might feel very certain that they're right, but maybe they're not. So 15 percent, 20 percent of diagnoses are actually a misdiagnosis, at least. So uh, it, it was a challenge. And um, if I had known how long it would take to uh, get some like market traction in, in digital health, I would probably not have done it. Uh, but in hindsight, I've, in hindsight, I'm very glad I, I, I did because I, through it, I also met my third co-founder and, and now wife, Claire, who, oh, wow. like Martin, is a genius. I'm just the, the, third, the business guy, basically, so three. and they are the really smart people. So, so, my, so one of them is... No, I was going to say, so my first question is because you started with you only understood 50% of what Martin was saying. So I hope you're at 51 now. <laughs> or something like that that's my first question it's, get, it's gotten a little better it's gotten okay. a little better right. uh, but so it's not because what he was saying didn't make sense but i no, think I when don't. if you're an outsider who doesn't have experience in healthcare on digital health then or for that matter with you know he's he's a He's basically a neuroscientist, so so you know it, he's just super smart. So so it wasn't because what he was saying didn't make sense, but I had to get into it, and I'm still learning today. So mm. uh, it, it might not be fifty percent, but I'm still not at one hundred percent. But it's a bit better it, now. And then the second question, as you start talking about Claire, right? Um, you know, first you kind of said, well, you know, I didn't want to be a doctor. One, you know, you you married a doctor now. That and but the, the second the second question that I had is any pointers? I mean, Marina and I have been together for 25 years. We've been running the company now for two and a half. Any other pointers? You guys have been doing this a little longer than two and a half running together. I'll pass it, it on. Don't work, been, with, don't, don't work with your wife. <laughs> no, it's actually, I mean, I, I, I know that's the conventional wisdom. Uh, I have to say, uh, you know, it's been 10 years. We've been married now oh, wow. for almost eight years so it's been over 10 years and we've been married now for for almost eight years and um so naturally we 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 don't really know it any any different so it's hard to to make any comparison but i have um i have had uh, investors who who had a problem with it uh the investor is no longer with us i mean you're still alive with no (laughs) misunderstanding yeah 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 no we got it you know, he's diagnosed. He's no diagnosed. There. I also had an investor pitch where, um, you know, I showed the team slide and everything had gone really well, a uh, whole pitch. They were super interested. And I said, here's the team slide. And by the way, my co-founder, just full disclosure, she's also my wife. And the guy got up and said, this meeting is over. I was like, I thought wow. he was joking. This was a Silicon Valley uh, investor, ah, actually brilliant. rather successful yeah. fund. Right, uh, you know, and, you I, know I, I know we I know we talked about it when when we caught up a couple of right. weeks back. But you know, one one of the things we say, you know, if that question comes up, uh, I mean, in your co-founder, the key component of all of this is trust, right? And who right. do you trust more? Right. I mean, Marina and I have been together for twenty five years, married for twenty three, raised two girls, right? And this is our third baby that we're taking care of and growing, and and this one is going to be better than the first two. So no. Eugene, have you, have you, have you had that experience, Eugene, uh, with the investors? Yeah, 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 yeah. we did. Yeah, we did. I, mm. We did. We, we, we get the question. You know, there are, there are plenty mm. of examples where, 
I mean, I, I do acknowledge that from an investor perspective, there is a little bit of an added risk, but you can sort of, you know, you can look at uh, sort of ways to mitigate that risk, um, so contractual ways and, and everything, but I think there are also real uh, advantages to it. As you say, trust, uh, and then you, you can look at successful examples, uh, like Eventbrite uh, was a founder couple, uh, Biontech, at, right there, right? Uh, Biontech, Biontech, of course. I mean, it's a, it's a great example. Mm. Uh, and you know, for us, uh, even within the company, I don't think it's been it's been a problem because we, you know, obviously in our case, I'm on the business side. Claire is heading the medical field, so mm. we have pretty clear areas of responsibility, and it's worked quite well. I I can't, you know, obviously I I don't fully know, but I don't think. Uh, that it's been awkward for either our co-founder or our leadership team members or anyone else on the team. We should have had Claire on with you. I, I don't know why we didn't think of right. this. That would have been fun. Yeah, well, All right. Ne- next maybe time. we can have another episode. Yeah, I was going to say, have a, you can have or a, we have her separately yeah, and compare six. the stories. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I think there I, was I, a TV I, show at some point where they compare the stories <laughs> and then they're completely different and you're like, everyone gets a good laugh out of it. Right. If, if I think you had one of our former team members uh, on, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So I watched the episode with uh, Rashida. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. She worked right. with us. Uh, she's, she's from the US, but she worked with us in Berlin. And uh, Oh, that's awesome. Great yeah. working with her. And yeah, so, you know, it, I, I think it's one of those, those interesting things. Like, I always feel like if you're upfront, like I always feel like with Eugene, you know, you know, when you're going in, like you're super upfront about it. Right. And, and so it's kind of like, it, you know, like I heard, you know, I, Bill Toronto did a podcast with Breaking Health the other day and I, and okay. he talked about, yeah, it was good. He, he talked about the diligence. He says the only thing he doesn't, he loves meeting with early stage companies. He's like, the only thing he really appreciates is if people do their diligence beforehand. Right. And, you know, so if you're super upfront about it and you're, like you said, you do it right in the pitch and then, and then, you know, frankly, you know, like who knows, like these things, like creating these startups are just, they're, you know, they're just wild, you know, kind of inventions in their early stages. And then they eventually stabilize and, you know, start to become, you know, repeatable business models and, you know, with all kinds of interesting um, aspects of it, but businesses for, from the beginning of time have been managed by families, right? You know, I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, in some ways, you know, I think that's, yeah, that's a, a, just to me, that's like actually it's a good point. thing. That's actually a good point. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought of it that, especially like in the SMB world, right? I mean, again, not probably, you know, venture scale, like succession. but yeah. Like succession. Yeah. Great, great show. Succession. <laughs> yeah, some, um, of the, some of the most successful businesses in Germany, there are quite a few sort of hidden champion type businesses that which might have like hundreds of millions in revenue, but they're barely known. And most yeah. of them are run by families. That's true. I, Ho- I haven't thought Hoffman. of it. Hoffman LaRoche, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I can't talk about families, you know. Um, that's awesome. So, so now, so if, if just, if it just maybe one little, like, so if I'm interacting with your technology, just for people that aren't that familiar with it, what, you know, what am I getting out of it? Like what's happening? Yeah, so, so um, going back to what we started doing, we had originally built uh, decision support software for doctors, which uh, was really powerful. Um, and, you know, I, sometimes I say it, we actually built what IBM Watson's marketing team had promised they would build. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, going back to some of these challenges, uh, it was indeed not easy to sell to doctors. Um, so about five and a half years ago, I think we launched a version for patients, which was had always been my wish 
from the beginning because I come more from the consumer side. Right. Uh, and I knew that uh, about, um, I think, 7% uh, of all Google searches are actually health-related. And sure. then one out of five of those is directly a symptom. So we created a, a chatbot-style interface before chatbots actually became a bigger thing. Uh, and it works pretty much like a WhatsApp chat with your trusted family doctor. So 24-7, uh, you can just take the app and like you would if you go to your trusted doctor, you start with your presenting complaint. So you say, okay, I have a headache. And right. then like a good doctor would, it starts asking you questions, like when the doctor would take the patient history. And it basically, it takes about five minutes. It's a, it's a dynamic question and answer flow. So it's not a decision tree, but it adapts right. and it narrows it down to then give you two main things. Uh, one, an idea of what condition or conditions might be causing your problem. And then two, some advice on what to do next. Um, okay. That's the, the current product. And it really works like a WhatsApp or WeChat or Talk, depending on where you're from. And am I, a, am, is that the, if I'm using your system, am, am I a member at that stage? Or, or is that even, do I get that right in my consumer experience as I go on your site? Or you know, do I have to be part of your clinical system? Yeah, so it's all free. Uh, and uh, the, the reason we ask uh, for you to register is so that you can, uh, so yeah, that you can go back to it and basically build a profile over time. And uh, like, if you were to go to your family doctor, you would prefer, I think, that the second time you come, the doctor already knows who you are, knows your right. underlying risk factors, knows your prior uh, prior conditions, uh, and that's why we asked to register. But it's it's really easy. I mean, you just register it, and then you have a profile, and that's where the product is today for the on the consumer side. Interestingly, once we launched this consumer product uh, some years back it we, you know we wanted to be careful so we launched it in new zealand first uh, to sort of okay. we, we thought if something goes wrong you know it's far away seal it off many tech companies actually do that and then then very quickly it was the number one medical app in new zealand australians started asking oh. for it so we we launched in the australian ios app store and then uh, eventually we launched in all the iOS app stores. And I think half a year later also on, on the Google Play Store. And since then it's been downloaded, I think 12 million times. Uh, we have about 30 million cases in the system right now. Every two or three seconds, someone somewhere in the world is entering a new case. Um, but uh, this is all purely on the consumer side. And we're not, uh, not yet offering a paid version of it. Uh, so we had to find a way, as you can imagine, to monetize. Um, and then uh, we were getting a lot of inbound interest from all kinds of different stakeholders, health systems, insurers, telehealth companies, governments even, uh, and also life sciences companies. So uh, today we, we work with uh, some of the largest health systems and most innovative health systems in the US, for instance. We also work with the largest health system in Portugal. We work uh, with uh, some multinational health insurers. We work with the government uh, of Ontario, for instance, where they're building a digital primary care, a digital front door to primary care for the entire 15 million population. And we are part of a consortium that is offering that. And we also work with life sciences companies. Those are interested uh, in aggregated uh, learnings from aggregated data, uh, for instance. Um, and we see a lot of potential to help people get to the right treatment faster. So our original mission was to get people to the right diagnosis faster. That hasn't changed. 
Uh, and obviously, if you get to the right diagnosis faster, it can get you to the right treatment faster. And my ambition for ADA is really to take it from just giving you care navigation and a first idea of what you might have and generic advice uh, to extend this to more of an end-to-end -end journey where through us, you will also get eventually a prescription if needed uh, and the treatment you need delivered to your home. And that's something we're working on um, where we think we can we can make an even bigger impact on, on, on patients, hopefully. Amazing. You, you know, it's interesting to see, I think, um, and this is a bit of, you know, kind of start with tech, but then the realization that A, the human beings surrounding that tech are still needed, and B, um, I think kind of more, let's call it holistic and, you know, broader care spectrum is a key. And, and actually, you know, the interesting thing where I was going to go a little bit with it is, um, you know, knowing the German market and just the, you know, the European, I mean, European Union is not, yes, it's one European Union, but there's, you know, 20, what, 7, 28, I'm, I'm, I'm 28 countries, right? 27? I should, I should know this by now. Um, okay. But, you know, but, um, you know, the question that I would have for you is, I mean, there's a lot of digital health activity in Europe, but look, you know, Ada, you guys are now also in US, you know, take Constantine and Jonas and Kaya Health, right? You know, US you know, kind of migrated to US as far as the presence. A, why? What are your thoughts on this? Um, and what does Europe need in order to really retain companies like yourself, right, to, and scale? Yeah, I think it's a, it's, um, it's a bit of a shame, actually, uh, because there's, you know, I'm, I'm really, uh, to some extent, personally, quite familiar with various ecosystems, digital health ecosystems. So obviously the German uh, digital health founder landscape, I lived in London for a few years, uh, traveled to the US all the time, uh, and also have been in Asia quite a bit. So what I have to say is I, I don't think in terms of ambition and quality of the solutions and, and also ambition of the entrepreneurs, I don't think European and German digital health entrepreneurs are worse. Uh, I just think it's made much harder to right. succeed in, in right. European markets and specifically in Germany. And I think, unfortunately, it's, it's to some extent a matter of mindset. Uh, in Germany, you have a pretty large scene of people who talk a lot about digitalization and, and all of this stuff. Um, but there are a lot of bureaucratic hurdles where, where things are meant well, uh, but I think the approach needs to be rethought. Uh, and to, unfortunately, I'm a lawyer by training, so I know that regulation will always be far behind innovation. And, and okay. the approach in Germany and also in the EU, which might be to a large extent driven by Germany, is something new appears and then the regulator is like okay let's regulate it we don't fully understand it but just in case let's regulate it sure. uh, whereas in in the u.s the approach is more okay we're going to apply enforcement discretion we're going to watch it we're going to right. sort of make sure patients are not being harmed but we're not going to sort of stop it in its tracks uh, right. and 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 that i think is is one of the aspects 
The other aspect is, of course, market size. As you said, it's 27, 28 countries in Europe. And while, you know, you, we say Europe, but it's a lot of different languages. Uh, sure. It's still difference in regulation, whereas in the US, um, I think about 4% of the world's population live in the US. But as far as I know, more than 50% of the world's healthcare spend happens in the US. So naturally, if you are an entrepreneur, you sort of focus on, focus on the largest market. That said, you know, I'm, you know, I, being from Germany, I, and being from Europe, having lived in various European countries, I do hope that we will uh, achieve greater market adoption, also with our product, but then for digital health in general, uh, in Europe as well. It's just, it's unfortunate that you have to go to the US first, you have to prove yourself first there. And then maybe at some point, you can come back and you can say, well, look, Kaiser Permanente is working with us. Look, whoever yeah. it is, Mayo Clinic is working with us. And then the, the European uh, stakeholders are um, uh, adopting this as well. It's, it's funny. I, I, you know, I think a lot about this. We did a whole, I remember Martin Kelly did a whole podcast with myself and Silver Cloud. You know, we talked about how we attack those markets. And um, I, I try to use it with Health Beacon with my company that, that we use it as an entry point into the larger life sciences companies. So, you know, so, so they become an entry point, but you have to get two things really right with that, which is you have to have an account strategy for that total life sciences company, which is quite difficult to maintain. And then also have to have this incredibly, you know, dexterous local that can, you know, tackle the local parochial aspect of how the German affiliate might buy uh, and it also depends right? on yeah. what, where, where that company is on centralization, decentralization journey, right? Because right. It's constantly, constantly, like, constantly going you know, back. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a pendulum swinging, but um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I meant, we also mentioned, and uh, I'm trying to, you know, I think this is the first time ever I'm kind of rushing through it because I do need to uh, go. Uh, unfortunately, Daniel, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not, uh, but I wanted to get to the blitzscaling because I think there's so much to talk about. And we've been seeing, I think, in the last, I guess, probably even a month, you know, lots of layoffs, right, in digital health companies. First, we had amazing, insane rounds, right? Um, and then now, you could argue that a lot of that round kind of drove some of this blitzscaling. Your thoughts, Daniel, on this? <laughs> You've been around the block in the internet boom and digital health blitzscaling. Yeah, I think yeah. so. So, um, first of all, I'm obviously a strong believer that despite uh, sort of current market turbulences, digital health tools are. Uh, are going to be key in improving outcomes for patients. So for me, this is uh, a macro trend that without a doubt will stay the same. Um, as you said, we've seen pretty massive rounds. And uh, of course, like not just in digital health, but in tech in general, uh, when it's easy to sort of get valuations to spike, when it's easy to... Uh, to relatively easy we know it's never really easy but when it's relatively easier to raise money there's a temptation to then say okay well growth at all costs and now unfortunately i've been through that already uh, <laughs> uh, in, in my very first job 99 2000 we came out at the peak of the dot-com bubble and then someone somebody sort of basically right. uh, you know pierced the balloon and, and and the whole thing burst uh, and so um 
So we've done it to some extent at ADA. And, you know, we're never, you're never immune from having to correct to some extent, but I think others have probably uh, scaled much more aggressively than we have. And the jury's still out on whether that works or not. Good idea. For me, the key thing is you, you should only do it. Um, you should only do it when you're quite certain that you have product market fit. Mm. Uh, and if you do it before that, then unfortunately, you take um, a lot of risk. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're under pressure, Eugene, so I'll hit Yeah, him. I mean, not, not pressure, just, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I want to be respectful to the, to the next, uh, uh, thing anyway, but I would love to, um, no, I, all, all, all good. So, uh, maybe let's just go to your last question and I'm sorry to, uh, I would have loved to do a, the Tim Ferriss style again. Yeah, no, I was each one, was we loved, can go I, deeper I, and deeper. Like a, like I'm dying to, what was that other, uh, there was that other website was called like dog pound or something like that at the time. Was it like Lycos? There was, there was, was another mean, one. Still that was like go, the, which is even a worse, worse thing to, to me versus fetching. But there were quite a few. I mean, we acquired a few of them. There was something called Hotbot. There was Alta Vista. There right. Was, uh, right. Right. There was right. Leaf, but what, site. Like I'm, I know it's like a, you're a real survivor of the last great tech, you know, boom and bust. So that's amazing. So picture yourself, Daniel. You're, um, you know, you're walking out of, um, you know, you're you're walking out of a uh, uh, Barcelona. You're on vacation with Barcelona with your uh, young, growing family and uh, and company, and you see this, you know, this incredibly talented uh, German. Uh, uh, you know, American trained attorney that had survived, you know, that had been reading loads and loads of Reed Hoffman books on blitzscaling. <laughs> and it was just coming out of an, an MBA program that was now resettled back in Barcelona. And he was spending way too much time, but he has, he says, Daniel, um, you're like, you're my mentor. I've been reading all about you. You know, I'm, I've got this phenomenal idea of merging uh, you know, diagnosis and treatments and digital health interventions. And I've got this phenomenal technology. What advice would you give to that, you know, young version of Daniel? Oh, that's a tricky one. I mean, if you, I think if you, in hindsight, hindsight is 2020, right? So you, you look back and you're like, why did we waste so much time on this or that? But then I think things happen for a reason. So I, I don't have a whole lot of regrets. I think I would have, uh, I would have liked to avoid some of the mistakes actually with our sort of mild version of blitz scaling, <laughs> mainly because, you know, when you, when you scale up and then you have to let people go for me personally, that's always sort of, that's been the hardest moment because you're not, but those aren't just numbers. I mean, you're, you're the, the families involved and everything. So, so you just wish you had been more careful, uh, in the hiring process um, to avoid uh, premature scaling. Um, the other thing, I guess, specific to digital health is, uh, you know, I, I wish I, I had known more about healthcare in general than, than, I, than I did, uh, which could have, you know, fortunately I met Claire very early on. So when I met her, it was like, we're trying to build a, an amazing thing for doctors, but we don't have a single doctor on our, our, our team. So this was in the, in the very early stage. And I said, can you please help us? Fortunately, she said yes twice to the company. <laughs> uh, so, so there are definitely no regrets there. 
But um, <laughs> but I would say if you go into digital health, uh, the the main thing is you you can't lose focus of why you're doing it. So you have to the the key thing is always um, think about the impact uh, that you can make. And I have to say, even when I had a, a really terrible day, and you know investors who pass on you, uh, other other things that go wrong. Um, when I look at the feedback from our users, and there's almost every day, there's someone who says, this saved my child's life, this saved my mother's life, we wouldn't have gone to the doctor had we not used this. Then this reminds me of why we're doing it. And probably that's the biggest thing. Uh, I would say, as long as you believe in what you're doing, then, uh, then you then you will be able to overcome uh, the moments of frustration in a much better way. And I think that's the, the beauty of digital health. And I, I believe that's hopefully why we are all doing this. Amazing. Awesome. On that note, awesome. thank you for joining us and sorry for rushing us through today, but uh, I think we got a lot in and sounds like we're going to have, uh, you know, season two of Daniel and Claire, meaning uh, <laughs> that we'll, sounds awesome. We'll get you, that would be fun. Cool. Um, and ha happy birthday to your happy birthday to your son. And you just had his birthday, right? <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Eugene. To your son. All the best. No, no, I thought you. I, <laughs> no, didn't you say so your, yours turned three, right? So it, you're out of terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. What that, that was a, a few weeks ago. Oh, Thank yeah, you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, oh, you don't have a son. You have two daughters, right? Sorry. I, no. I got confused. All right. Yeah, so okay, good. I took us off in a segue. So millions of subscribers, subscribe. Hit subscribe, <laughs> pass it on, over and out. Cheers. And best.